The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy weekend, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. We say that aspirationally every week. Love having you with us. And we love working with the dude. That would be Michael Roberge. Mike, how are you today? Good morning, guys, and Happy New Year. Happy New happy Year to year. you. The yeah. year of the rat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't know if I know any rats. I know a horse, a tiger, a monkey, and a dragon, but I don't know if I know any rats. I guess I don't either, but in Chinese astrological lore, that is not a bad thing. We think here, you know, he's a rat. Don't rat us out, no. etc. Rats are a symbol of prosperity and fertility in Chinese culture. And oh, sustainability as a practical matter. That's true. Yep. And so uh, let's hope that a lot of that reaches our life. Not that, I, not that I'm looking to add to my household over here, but the fact is, you know, we're a bit out of that game at this point. But it is nice to think in terms of fertility, generally speaking, things growing, things getting more abundant. So what do we have going on weather-wise? There was that brief weather report. Snow out of the forecast for a while over there, Mike. Yeah, we're just, uh, we've got weather just sort of lined up uh, out in the uh, Pacific Ocean. It's going to slam us one storm after another. So uh, it's going to be warm, but wet. And uh, I think we can pretty much count on that for the next seven, maybe 10 days. But the next week is clearly going to be wet, as was this week. Is this another situation? I used to hear it every winter, really. Uh, with few exceptions, when I lived in Seattle over two decades, and that was the both the dreaded and the anticipated Pineapple Express. I don't know if that's the case this time. No. Um, <laughs> how can I put this? Um, all Pineapple Expresses are atmospheric rivers, but not all atmospheric rivers are Pineapple Expresses. It, de- it depends on the point of origin. And what's happening right now is our weather is coming almost— due west to east. Uh, so it's, uh, it's warm, but it's, doesn't, it's not originating from uh, the Hawaiian Islands. Okay, there we go. Aloha. <laughs> yeah. wish, wish we were there. <laughs> and one last note, we have a very important guest. They're all important, but some are near and dear to us because we have a strong, almost familial connection to certain individuals, and one such lady joins us today. I did want to duck this in because I just saw it on Yahoo. Mike, have you heard anything about the supposed image or video taken of a Bigfoot? We're talking Sasquatch in eastern Washington. I think, is it at Spencer Pass? Wow, I have uh, not uh, heard anything or seen anything about that. And you mentioned Spencer Pass. I don't even know where that is. I know that it's in eastern Washington. I'm not sure I've traveled it myself. But supposedly there is an image captured of a Sasquatch. Now you never know. You know, it's, it's worth checking out if you're into that sort of thing. And it's from eastern Washington. Apparently, it is very late-breaking. So for Sasquatch researchers and fans of Bigfoot, the phenomenon, it might be worth checking out. Google Spencer Pass Sasquatch and see what you find. Yeah, I'll see if I uh, can't find him and get him on as a guest. There we go. Hopefully, he speaks English just like you Pretty much Harry and the Hendersons. If he didn't speak it so well, he sure understood it. <laughs> that was, uh, people loved that movie too, despite the fact that here and there you did find a blooper, a mischaracterization of something in Seattle, like Queen Anne's Hill, for example. 
Yeah, I also remember seeing um, overhead microphone booms in the shot. <laughs> Not a lot, but oh, a couple really? times. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Shades of Billy Jack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Suzanne. We have somebody with us today. We love to talk to. We always learn from her, but she has such a great way of presenting it. It's easy to internalize the things that she has to teach. Um, yes, that's true. <clears throat> would you like to read something biographical in nature? I certainly would. Lauren Archer is a mindfulness trainer, hypnotherapist, and certified heart math coach. We'll find out more what that means. She is the author of six word lessons on changing habits, as well as several audio and video programs on personal development and mindfulness. For those regular listeners, you may know that we have been saying we're in our 13th year. We will actually celebrate 13 years on air in March. And this lady, Lauren Archer, was one of the first guests that we had in 2007 when we began our show. So she has been with us for 13 years. This is her 16th appearance for us today and sweet 16 seems just so appropriate for our conversation today which is going to be all about the heart so welcome a friend of Manson Mitchell Lauren Archer good to have you with us today thank you so much Suzanne thank you Gary it's great to be back on the show and diving into some juicy conversations about life and love and consciousness and heart and creating transformation. I love that you guys enjoy uh, talking about these kinds of things. So I'm looking forward to having some fun. Oh, yeah, that's always fun. That's always fun to talk about. But let's get to the we'll cut to the chase here, Lauren. Where do you land on all this Sasquatch business? Um, Similarly to where I land on the on the UFO business, and that is um, when I see evidence, I will I will gladly believe it, but I haven't seen any evidence that, that impacts my life yet. Nothing has been, um, you know, totally shown to be uh, relevant to my day-to-day life. So once that happens, then I will take a look at it. How does that sound? <laughs> uh, it sounds great, and in particular, it just serves to remind me and our listeners how empirical you are. That's one thing I've known about you, Lauren, for a long time, just about since we met back in 2005, in my case. There's a, there's a part of you that wants to know, but there's that part of you that needs to investigate. And I love that about you because I would never consider you to be a faddist. You want to know mm. if this stuff works, whatever it is. That is very true. And, you know, I have so many friends that are um, psychic, that our mediums that, you know, really have this amazing connection with, um, uh, you know, energy healers, all of that. And, and I believe that that's possible, and I admire those qualities tremendously. And yet, in, for me, I have not had the direct experience of that, uh, you know, nothing that's been repeatable. So I do tend to look towards you know, what's evidential, what can I experience directly, and how can I use some of these uh, principles to change my life in a meaningful way. So, yeah, I tend to, to look at sports psychology and physiological evidence and 
practical tools that uh, I can use to make a difference. Might not be as sexy as uh, some of the other <laughs> some of the other things, but for me, I have to I have to honor what's true for me. Well, Lauren, this is one of the reasons that you are one of our A-list guests, and this is your 16th appearance on our show in, in the last 13 years, is that, as Gary likes to say, it doesn't work to be only left-brained or only right-brained. You want the two halves of your brain to work together. And I'm I'm very, very interested in the research that you have been doing because I met you as a hypnotherapist all those years ago, 13 years ago, went to one of your hypnotherapy sessions at the hospital, learned quite a bit, was able to use the information immediately, and now you are uh, not so much moving as expanding your body of information to include quite a bit about the heart. And I yeah. said, oh, we do want to talk about that because there is an intelligence to the heart. Intelligence is not only located in the brain, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned something about the left brain and right brain, and um, that is a big piece of what drove me to inquire into this. I, I believe that I... Um, like many of us, raised in Western society, had been pretty much entirely focused on left-brain empirical uh, data and proving things, and that's all, that's all essential. And yet in my work as a hypnotherapist, what I found uh, with most people is when they, they wanted to change a habit, let's say, or they wanted to get started on a, a new habit, or they wanted to uh, become a better, you know, more confident or a better performer or a better, you know, salesperson, whatever it was, they would know intellectually what to do, right? We, we all know what, the, what eating healthy supposedly is, is like. Um, we know that we're supposed to exercise. We know certain... Um, habits that are important for us to be successful. And yet what pulls us back from doing them is not a lack of knowledge. It is not a misunderstanding of something in the left brain. What throws us off track is our emotions, which tend to live in the unconscious. And so the, when the, the left brain and the right brain are out of balance, so your left brain says, I want to do one thing, but your right brain, your emotional body says, well, you know, I need something else. I want to get nourishing or soothing or, you know, I have this fear that is important that I need to deal with. Uh, then you're going to have a conflict. And so it, it was in that search for finding how to help people balance those parts of their, their psyche that I came across the research on the heart. And it, it totally changed my life. And um, I've been continuing to dive into it, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's amazing how many areas it touches, as well as how we can use the knowledge that the heart is a centering place. It's a part in our body that contains access both to our, our insight and our intellectual 
faculties as well as our emotions. It's sort of like a central regulator, a central intelligence agency. Um, so now, I don't know about, yeah, go ahead. I can understand uh, the heart being part of the feeling nature, but I'm wondering about the heart being a center for intelligence, for intellect. Yeah. How, yes, how, did well, you, how did you come across that? Well, that was through the Institute of Heart Math. So when I was doing uh, a lot of speaking and, and doing my research on the mind-body connection, I came across the Institute of Heart Math, and they were formed in the early uh, 1990s <clears throat> out of Boulder Creek, California, and they have uh, a nonprofit uh, arm as well as a for-profit arm. Their for-profit arm is... Um, where they, ha they sell uh, technology to be able to measure. So you could get uh, one of their apps or you could get their desktop technology and you could put a little ear clip on and you can, you can watch your own heart rate variability change. Anyway, they define heart intelligence as, I'm looking up the specific definition here, heart intelligence as the flow of awareness understanding, and in intuition guidance we experience when the mind and emotions are brought into coherent alignment with the heart. And they talk about the heart having its own nervous system. It has its own intelligence. So there are neurons in the heart that process information. The thing is it processes information in a different way than the brain. So neurocardiologists call it the intrinsic cardiac nervous system, and they've nicknamed it the heart brain. So that fascinated me because I would see people sometimes that had a sense of calm and a sense of knowing and a, and a, a sense of love and generosity, and I recognized something in them that I was missing back then. This was, you know... Gosh, uh, it was 2008 when I studied uh, with heart math in the beginning. And I said, there's something about that that I want to know, I want to learn more about. And as I learned these practices, which is uh, tuning into the heart, so that's coming into the body, removing your attention from the busyness of the mind and sensing and feeling what's happening in your own heart, and then activating feelings of appreciation and gratitude, calming the system. It brings the mind-body system into a state that's called coherence. Coherence means order, balance, harmony, and there's a synchronization that takes place between the heart, the brain, and the nervous system. And the opposite of that, by the way, would be non-coherence. And so that would be a disorder, feelings of instability, unsettling. So when the brain is going in one direction and, and the heart is going in another and the body has nervous energy, you'll feel that as being unsettled, chaotic, and out of balance. And so it, it becomes more of a feeling state, which we would call the energetics. So is that making sense so far? I am following it as best I can. I wanted to uh, put one thing into this, which just is a word that I heard. And if you have anything to amplify, please do, Lauren. But I understand that the Japanese have a term that really could only be roughly translated into English. 
and I may massacre the pronunciation of it, but I believe the word is kokoru. And in Japan, that means heart-mind. That's the best way I can translate it, that our heart has a mind of its own, if you will. Yes, well, and it's amazing that many cultures worldwide, if you look at philosophy, you look at history, you look at literature, um, you look at world religion, spirituality, uh, the heart was recognized for many, many eons as the primary center of the human spirit. And in biology, we know now that the heart is formed before the brain. It is the first organ that is formed as a fetus is developing. So I found that totally fascinating because most of my life was focused on changing thoughts, right, changing beliefs, all of this mental energy. And uh, you can only take that so far. And in fact, uh, for those who are familiar with the work of Dr. David Hawkins, uh, who wrote Power Versus Force and all those uh, energy levels about uh, about uh, the victim energy all the way up to the level of, of bliss, and he calibrates all these energy levels. He said something that struck me, and that's in order to really get to those higher states of consciousness, you need to get beyond the mind. And that was a head-scratcher for me for a long time. It's like, wait, wait, how do you get beyond the mind? Uh, and for me, the way I get beyond the mind is with the heart. So to make it easier to understand, we could, we could think about some of the common language that we use uh, to describe different states of being. You could think of people that are closed-hearted or cold-hearted or a state of being heavy-hearted versus open-hearted, warm-hearted, light-hearted. Now, these are energetic states that we all intuitively understand, and yet it's not something we can necessarily define with our mind. So this is about a state of discernment, and this is where mindfulness practices come in, and you can think of it as heartfulness, bringing your attention into your body and tuning into the experience Experience that you're having in your heart and in your emotional being and bringing that into a, a state of regulation and synchronicity. You know, we we're talking left brain, right brain earlier, and <clears throat> I was acknowledging Gary this morning for handling a very complex problem using both his head and his heart. And uh, I think this was in light of our uh, kind of our, our run up to today's show where I'm looking for that intelligence in the heart to help solve problems. So I, I still think of it as an emotional center and, and where the brain has to analyze and, you know, figure stuff out. But you had asked the question about, um, you know, where things reside. And, and I, I don't think of my head as having a lot of emotions. But, but when I'm feeling a certain way, when I'm feeling compassion or love, it feels like the heart area is expanding, like it's moving out from my body, that part of me is getting larger. 
Does that make sense with, with what it is that you've been studying? Absolutely. Um, we can look at, well, so let's talk about emotion. Emotion is, is neurochemical, typically. So we experience emotions as chemical expressions through the body. And, and it's really your entire body that processes emotional energy. So you can feel it in the gut. You can feel it in your muscles and tension. You can feel it in your heart. So the heart is not the only center of emotion. Um, and what we notice typically is when you are feeling worried or fearful or anxious, that will trigger a neurochemical release of cortisol and adrenaline through the body, and it tends to cause the heart area to contract and to feel closed down, kind of a protection, right? It's that fight, flight, or freeze. We might close down the heart, uh, feel contracted, feel tense, and we have this flood of emotions through, uh, of the chemicals, rather, through the body. When that happens, the, the prefrontal cortex of the brain shuts down, and so we're literally not at our best capacity. The prefrontal cortex is where we can think clearly, and what's activated is more that primitive brain, that fight or flight. So the opposite occurs when we tap into the intuitive wisdom and guidance of the heart, when we are feeling appreciation, gratitude, compassion, you know, in mindfulness, we might call that acceptance, non-judgment, and just being with whatever we're experiencing. There is a sense of expansion that most people experience in the heart. And as that happens, there's a completely different release of neurochemicals through the mind-body system, things like DHEA and oxytocin. And then that allows a synchronicity or a synchronization between the heart and the brain. So it brings the brain waves into synchronization with the coherence of the heart. And then we're able to think more clearly and process information on a, on a more holistic level. And what's fascinating... I, I, yeah, I yeah, do get ahead. that synchronizing between the head and the heart. Mm -hmm. So when, when we talk left brain, right brain, we could also be talking head and heart. Yes. That, that synchronizing that occurs between those two organs. And again, it's not an either-or process. Your, your best chances of the best outcome that you want to be effective is to use both of, of those in balance, right. yes? Yes, absolutely. And it's recognizing, you know, the old saying, the mind is a a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. It's learning to recognize when the mind starts running away from us, getting into fearful thoughts, and not necessarily following where it's going, but coming back to the heart, being centered. And, you know, we could take this to so many different levels. Um, personally, you can, when you adjust your own state, and take control of your internal feelings. Now, this is a practice, and the reason that I think I was so drawn to this is because I needed it so much. <laughs> I mean, I tend to run um, kind of nervous energy. I'm one of those really driven people, um, very analytical and intellectual, 
And so my mind can get carried away. And when I discovered this, it was, it was such a relief to be able to practice this and come back to myself. So, and the other thing that really inspired me was, oh, you mean if I can do this practice several times a day for just a few minutes, I can start releasing anti-aging hormones through my body naturally? Mm, I kind of like that, right? <laughs> so that was fun. But also in our interconnections with other people, uh, the, the electromagnetic field that's generated by the human heart can be measured up to three feet beyond the physical body. And so you know how they say animals can sense fear? Well, a big part of what they're feeling, and humans, you know, we can sense other people's states. A big part of what we're picking up on is the electromagnetic field and probably the neurochemical um, essence of what's happening in an individual at a given moment in time. And so your internal state is affecting the your relationships, the room you're in, the people around you, and theirs are affecting yours. So as we learn to adjust and take responsibility for our own emotions and our own internal state, we are literally changing the world around us because that ripples out into our environment. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? Good place to stop. We'll pick it up on the other side. Give us a couple of minutes. We're talking with Lauren Archer. We're internalizing a lot. We're taking it to heart, pun intended. And on the other side, I'd like to bring up some giants of thought, those who have passed, those who are still active, and run it by Lauren Archer and see what all of that means to her and how it may or may not be incorporated into her own view of human nature and her cosmology. You can talk that way when Lauren Archer is your guest, and we're pleased to have her with us once again. We are Manson Mitchell. Very glad to have you with us. Stick it out a couple of minutes, then more with Lauren Archer right here at the home of Alternative Talk in Seattle, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, 
and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Garnet Schulhauser from Victoria, B.C. for another enlightening discussion about metaphysics. On Saturday, Michael John Fierro, numerologist, takes center stage using numbers as one tool for navigating this life. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Need help getting started with self-help? You came to the right place. Alternative Talk, 1150. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell, and thank you, Neil Diamond. One of my favorite songs called Heartlight. We are talking with Lauren Archer. And Lauren, this is the time in the program when we want to be able to make sure our listeners know how to connect with you. So I'd like you to go ahead and uh, give out your website in any way that you would like people to connect. I also would like you to talk about a new venture that you have starting in February, the month of the heart, and that is Heartlight. So please hold forth as to what's going on with you. Sounds great. Yes. Um, so I have been following my heart's intuitive wisdom, and I was guided to help some friends of mine who are launching an amazing new startup company, and it's called Heartlight. And it was born of a desire by my friend, Lorelai. Her husband, Paul, uh, was traveling a lot for business, and she longed for a way that she could stay connected when he was traveling. And Paul, being the engineer and inventor that he is, uh, the two of them together decided to create some uh, a way that they could keep in touch via their heartbeat. So Paul was uh, creating a product, and then he hooked up with uh, another colleague named Brent Barton. Brent has taken uh, companies public, uh, and Brent and Paul reformed the company, called it Heartlight, and. What Heartlight is, is a way to record your heartbeat with a stethoscope. So it's a piece of art with a beautiful hand-blown glass luminary. We also have marble luminaries. And it creates meaningful experiences by enabling people to share a piece of their heart. And it renders the heartbeat in light, sound, and touch. So now, when someone travels, you can record their heartbeat and have it sitting on a beautiful artistic display and keep a piece of their heart with you. And so we're excited. We're going to be launching an Indiegogo campaign to take this product to market. So that is, uh, you can find it at heartlight.store, and it's going to be coming out soon. And then as far as my work, uh, you can find some heart-centering meditations and audio on my website at soundmindfulliving.com. So thank you for that opportunity to share a little bit about what I'm doing. I'm so excited because I never in a million years thought that I would be working on a consumer product company. But what I love about Heartlight is it's a way to infuse more love into the world. It's a way to share a piece of your heart, a piece of that essential 
human experience. And what people who are really into consciousness and personal growth and evolution may understand is that when you record your heartbeat, when you're coming from a state of love, like if you do meditation or yoga or if you work with any kind of heart-centered practice, when you record that, that can create a synchronous rhythm, and then that will infuse into your home. So when you're having a time where maybe you're not feeling as aligned or you're feeling like you need to take a few moments and come back and be recentered, you can use this as a tool for meditation, for mindfulness, and for centering. So it's really exciting to be part of something like that. And as the director of corporate communications or, or, or communications, I understand that you wrote an ebook to go with the product, yes? Yes. So once we launch the, in, the Indiegogo campaign, the ebook is going to be one of the perks uh, that you'll get with the, the product that you order. So people will have a, a selection of a couple of different toppers that you can choose. And then it will talk about the heart and how you can use this as a way to infuse more love into the world. It's also going to have a quick guide on how you can bring yourself into a state of heart coherence and, um, and use that for personal and for social and for relationship healing and harmony. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It sounds very, very interesting. And the two websites, once more, one is heartlight.store, that's and the sure. other, and your website is soundmindfulliving.com. Soundmindfulliving.com. So we want to yes. make sure we get that out for our listeners. Thank you so much. You're yes, welcome. And on, on Sound Mindful Living, there's a media page with a lot of free information. There's uh, one of my radio shows with you, and I'll probably upload this one once we're done with it. Uh, and then there are a couple of uh, meditations, uh, audio meditations that people can listen to. That's great, Lauren. Feel free to edit out the Sasquatch part. I was just having some fun with you. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Lauren, we're talking about, or I was before the break, about giants of thought. One of them is Carl Jung. And I'm curious to know to what extent he has influenced your own thinking about the human mind and human potential. Oh, gosh. All the greats have. I mean, really, I feel like there's no, no original thought under, under the sea. We, there's so much good uh, philosophy. Carl Jung, uh, the way he influenced me was the notion of symbolism and meaning. And in fact, I just I just finished listening to uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning because, you know, I work a lot with um, mental health and anxiety and depression. I mean, it's rampant in our society. And one of the models of, of consciousness that I work with, um, Carl Jung also was uh, supportive of, and that's the, the, like the medicine wheel if you think of the Native Americans. So it's the uh, north, east, south, west that corresponds with physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And you see this representation across a lot of different cultures. You see it in Celtic European. You see it in Native American. You see it in some of the, um, the indigenous 
cultures of different traditions. And so Jung mapped that with different ways of understanding the psyche. And I use that a lot in my work when I see imbalances. And I think of the physical and intellectual, to some extent, as mapping with the left brain and the emotional and spiritual as mapping with the right brain. And the anxiety and the uh, fear and the mental illness that, uh, that we're seeing a lot in the world today, to me, is a direct correspondence with the lack of heart, the lack of a sense of strong values. When we think of the qualities of the heart, we think of courage and compassion and um, care, valor, nobility, honor, and those qualities seem to be lacking in what we see on the news every day. And so people can have a very strong existential crisis to a world that is exhibiting what seems to be a lack of heart. And so finding ways to add heart, to reinvigorate the sense of meaning and purpose and care that is connected with the heart is, I believe, essential to where we're going as a human and so that's another reason I'm committed and dedicated to working in whatever small ways I can to bringing um, education and awareness and um, ways to practice getting more in touch with the heart. So does that answer your question about Carl Jung? It does, and very well at that. I wanted to ask you also, Lauren, about someone who is still in the body, still working among us, and that's Dean Radin. You, there's mm. a man whom you hold in high regard, and I'm wondering how much of his work has influenced you. Quite a bit, because Dean is one of the pioneers in trying to measure all of these phenomenon, because we're at a place in history where Finally, science is catching up with what the mystics and the great philosophers have been saying for years. Um, people like Dean Radin, people like um, Dr. Gary Schwartz are attempting to measure what phenomenon happens with these psychic intuitive experiences. And in fact, in one of the more recent books by the Institute of Heart Math. It's called Heart Intelligence. Uh, they referenced some of the experiments that Dean Radin was doing with uh, intuition. And he put people, uh, they put people in a, let's see if I can sum this up articulately. Uh, they had a computer program that was randomly showing them pictures. So there'd be like six seconds of silence. And then a, a picture would pop up that was predetermined to elicit an emotional response. So either something strongly uh, disruptive, negative, you know, something perhaps violent or uncomfortable, or a picture that would be, you know, soothing and that would elicit, you know, a, a feeling of, of love and calm. And then there'd be several seconds of silence afterwards. Well, they started identifying that the physiological response, so they had these people hooked up to both EKG, EEG, and skin conductance. 
So they were measuring multiple different ways the body and the brain is responding to the stimulus. And they found that people were having responses a few fractions of a second before the image came up. And so that led the hypothesis that there is something called non-local intuition. It's like precognition, and it's similar to what you experience uh, with remote viewing. You know, there's been a lot of remote viewing experiments, and we know that the uh, the military and uh, uh, mostly the, mostly military, as far as I know, but other uh, institutions train people as remote viewers to be able to pick up perceptions of what's happening in another world. So these phenomenons are very difficult to explain, but I, I so admire the scientists who are trying to measure and prove that there is something happening. We have talked to um, more than one remote viewer on our show, and I find that thoroughly fascinating, the information that they get which is not what you would typically call a purely psychic hit, but people who get involved in remote viewing do not claim to have any psychic or intuitive ability, and yet they are trained to be able to see things at not only a distance, but also at different uh, periods of time, you know, in the past or in the future. And, yeah. and I just find that whole remote viewing thing completely fascinating. Isn't I, it amazing? I, yeah. It is. It is really amazing. Yeah. The, the human nervous system is capable of, of picking up so many different things. I remember when I lived in uh, the Palo Alto area, some of the researchers at Stanford gave a presentation, and I attended it, and I, I took a remote viewing class with one of the, the trainers who had worked with a lot of military people, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of a lot of people were were gifted to that. I was one of those. I did not have a direct experience of it, so I uh, chalk that up to it's not my gift. And uh, admire people who do, uh, but I do believe that there is something to it. And you know, uh, HeartMath talks about they they have this Venn diagram with three different types of uh, intuition. One is the implicit knowledge, and that's you know where your subconscious mind. You, know, you think of a master who's done things so many times that pretty soon you get that pattern recognition and you're able to kind of pick things up quickly. And that's called implicit knowledge. And then there's the non-local intuition. So that's where you might be thinking of a friend and all of a sudden they call or you get a, a precognitive hit about something that's going to happen and it does. Or maybe a remote viewing. Uh, this happens a lot with parents where they get a sense that there's something, you know, their child needs help or, you know, people report that they, they just have a knowing when a relative dies, right? So that would be a non-local intuition. But then there's this other one uh, that they call energetic sensitivity, and that's that our nervous system is able to detect electromagnetic and other types of energetic signals in the environment around us. And this is something that most people are not trained to deal with, and it can cause anxiety and fear if you're picking up too much information, if you're energetically sensitive to what's around you. And that's why practicing 
getting to know your heart and working with bringing coherence into your heart can actually enhance your energetic sensitivity and, and protect you from some of the, uh, the negative and chaotic hits in the world around you. Well, I like that. And, and again, we have talked with uh, mediums of our acquaintance who say that it's very important to be able to protect yourself when you are opening yourself, not only to this realm, but to other realms, to have protection against any negative energies that might be, um, you know, in the, in the vicinity that you do not want to have that get into your space. So I do like this idea of strengthening your heart's own system so that you are able to do this kind of thing. I, I once did a remote viewing exercise that was not called that. I Only later did I make the, the connection. But I was in a workshop once where a room full of people, and I want to say at least 30 or 40 people, everyone drew a name out of a hat. And then they did a meditation. So, and the meditation was, you know, of some length, 15, 20, 30 minutes. And at the end of that, we were to describe the name of the person whose piece of paper that we had. And, and I thought, well, this is never going to work. But I started just describing, you know, what I thought this person looked like, height, weight, you know, hair color, whatever. And and honest to Pete, I, I was told I was right. And no yeah. one was more surprised than me. Yeah. Because, you know, these things with, with somebody who doesn't claim, you know, to be a, a psychic, you can actually get information and I could not tell you where that came from, but I don't think it came from my head. Right. I don't think I, I don't think I was, you know, seeing anything or or connecting from that way. I, do, I can't even tell you where the connection was coming from, but it may very well have been a connection from the heart. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's truly amazing. I can tell you my own story with uh, heart intelligence began in 2008. And I recognize that, wow, there's something there that I know that I haven't cultivated yet. And as I started doing the practice, I started getting awarenesses that I had been unconscious to for most of my life. And it, it redirected, I mean, it took me through kind of a painful place because um, I remember being in uh, a practice and I was expanding the field of my heart, and then I got some insight about a relationship in my life that was like, oh, oh, it was something I didn't want to look at, hadn't recognized consciously, and I tried to ignore it, right? The, the mind tried to rationalize it away, and then I did more practice, and then it's like, oh, okay, my heart's not in alignment with this, and I ended up leaving that relationship after you know, probably a couple of years of going through some some processing, and uh, it was a, it was difficult, and yet listening to my heart was what gave me the strength, and I, I had to get clear on what the direction my heart wanted to go is. And long story short, uh, I'm now in a relationship that is very much in alignment with 
who I am and what I love and I'm doing work that I enjoy and my life is is more of a sense of ease and flow. It doesn't mean I don't have problems. It doesn't mean I don't still have fears and challenges. But for me, this was something that so radically changed my life because I was able to rationalize away any, you know, and justify uh things that I had been doing before because, well, they made sense logically, uh, but I wasn't ultimately happy. Once I started practicing, getting in touch with my heart and listening to that, it, it changed the direction that I chose to go and it uh, guided my actions. And so that's what I would hope for people and that's what I uh, attempt to share. And a lot of times I just point people to um, the Institute of Heart Math and there's some really amazing research on their website. So if you want to learn more about it, that's a good place to go as well. Lauren, in the last few minutes of our show, could you share with the listeners any ways that you can of people strengthening their heart's intelligence? What can they do? What can somebody take away from our show today and from listening to you that they can start doing what 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 things can people do to move in that direction well number one is to think of your attention as being a little bit like a spotlight and to start noticing that you can aim that spotlight in a lot of different directions and so to aim this the spotlight of your attention on your heart several times a day I mean, as often as you like. And what I love about the heart practices is you don't have to have your eyes closed. So you could be walking down the street. You could be driving in your car. You could be in a conversation. uh, You could just be, you know, out going for a, a walk or a run. And you can put your attention on your heart and just notice what you're feeling. And begin to sense the quality of what you're experiencing in your body. And then the second thing would be to relax and breathe and let your heart and your breath come into a coherent rhythm. So the heart and the breath are intricately combined, and you, you can regulate your heart by just regulating your breathing. So that's an easy one. And then the third thing is in order to trigger the emotional and the chemical responses, that I was talking about earlier and to bring your heart into a a really coherent state. It's to focus on feelings of appreciation, gratitude, love, care, acceptance, whatever word you'd like. So you can think about a place in nature that you enjoy. Um, Small furry animals are wonderful to elicit that feeling. Uh, The innocence of children. And to give yourself permission to feel those feelings in your heart. And in when we say the heart, it's that whole center area of your chest. So the heart and the area around it. So it's not limited to the organ itself, but the energetic space around it. And the more you do that, if you just practice that for a couple of minutes, then you begin to develop a muscle memory. Like, oh, this is what it feels like when I let my heart feel love and expansion and appreciation and then to practice doing that even for just 30 seconds or a minute or two practice doing that several times a day 
And over time, that begins to strengthen your capacity to bring yourself into a harmonious state. We have just a couple of minutes left, so it's almost unfair to ask this of you, but just to get an opinion from you, Lauren, have you ever had experiences that lend credence to the notion of telepathy? Yes, uh, but not as many as some of my friends. So um, I would say it is that sense of knowing inside of you. Um, I've had I've had more friends that have had it than myself. I haven't had too many direct experiences. Uh, I've only so, had a few myself, Lauren. But what yeah. it what occurs to me is that if we all operate at some vibratory level, if we're on some frequency, if there are those who, at least generally, if not much more specifically in the case of a relationship, share a frequency with us, then we can send the vibration of our thoughts to them, and they can pick up on those, even subconsciously, and then decide what they want to do with them. I've had experiences that indicate to me that we can connect without the direct conscious ways common to us all. And it just makes me wonder if there might not be something to the notion of telepathy after all. This year, I intend to look into that a bit more. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Well, and just the energetics. I mean, the theory is that you do attract um, like frequencies. And so that's another reason that I found these heart-centered practices so helpful, because if you're spending time focusing on love and appreciation and gratitude, then you're going to attract more love and appreciation and gratitude and other people who come from that place. So overall, it just enhances the quality of your life. Why not? Why not? That is great. I like that. <laughs> One more time, your website for purposes discussed today, Lauren, where can people find you online? Soundmindfulliving.com. Beautiful. And it, okay, thanks. And then what? Oh, I was going to say, and then uh, if you want to learn about the heart life, you can go to heartlight.store and we'll be launching an Indiegogo campaign uh, soon. Coming up February is Heart Month, so everybody take good care of your heart and spend a few minutes focusing on love and gratitude. See what happens. Good advice. Thank you, Lauren Archer. Can't wait to visit with you again and including in person one of these days. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Gary and Suzanne. It was wonderful as always. You guys asked such amazing questions. I love our conversation. Thank you, Lauren Archer. And join us next Friday at 10 a.m. when we'll do this all over again. Have yourselves a great weekend, everyone, and stay tuned to AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.